praise you this morning, Lord. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. God, we pray that as we've worshiped you, that it's pleased you. God, that up in heaven, you're so just pleased with the praise that we give you, God. As incomplete and limiting as it may be, God, we pray that it would just bring a smile to your face, Lord. Father, that you would know we're so thankful for who you are to us, what you've done for us. The least we can do is worship your name. The least we can do is lift up your name. We give you the highest praise today, Lord. We give you all honor in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You can be seated if you would, please. I guess no one's in here except for my wife, a couple of worship people. Let's get used to saying that. Uh, I want to remind you again before I get into this sermon today, if you're watching online, did we fix all those internet issues, guys? Are we good? Are we good? Are we, we live? All right. I know we were having some internet issues. I appreciate you uh, being patient with us because the internet company people, they want to do all of their stuff on Sunday mornings. Why would they not, right? I mean, no one else is using the internet except all the churches in North America. Um, If you are watching, whether it's on YouTube or Facebook, would you just do me a favor and hit that like button, uh, hit that share button, put it out on your social media. This is a a really important sermon that we're talking about today. And I, I believe that the word needs to go forth. And so would you please do your part uh, to be able to share that message this morning so that more people would hear the word. Because <clears throat> I believe that there's a lot of people within your sphere of influence that need to hear this message. It's speaking directly to what we're dealing with today in America. Um, I'm putting this cough drop. I was screaming at, screaming at him in the parking lot first service. And so first service was good. Like we had a bunch, we had an outdoor service. I want to encourage you. We got drive-in. And now they're allowing us to have people be outside up to a hundred people. And so we encourage you to come out next week at 830 for in-person service. Uh, Did I pray over the message already? No. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, you can uh, follow along. Second Samuel chapter 18, it says, and David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. That David sent out one third of the people under the hand of Joab, one third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zuriah. Joab's brother and one third under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, you shall not go out for if we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor if half of us die, will they care about us? But you are worth 10,000 of us now. For you are now more help to us in the city. Then the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate and all the people went out by the hundreds and by thousands. Now the king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Be, and his head caught in the terebinth, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth. And the mule which was under him went on. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. So Joab said to them, Why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son, for in our hearing the king commanded you, and Abishai and Ittai him. Then all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And to this day it is called Absalom's 
monument. See, the bulk of this story is about Absalom. It's about David's son who has taken over David's kingdom. And there's some other guys in this story, Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. And they're sent to go and get Absalom. And they're told by David, deal gently for my sake with this young man, Absalom. Remember in this story that Absalom had taken over the kingdom of David and David had <clears throat> fled, from, fled from Jerusalem. And so now he's sending these guys to go and hit his son Absalom. And he says very clearly, he says, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. David loved his son. He wanted his kingdom back, but he didn't want to lose his son in the process. But if you're listening to this story, this isn't what happens. They, they go out to battle against Absalom. And the word says that Absalom got caught up in a terebinth tree. He's riding on a mule and his, his hair gets caught in the terebinth tree. And then he's no longer able to uh, uh, defend himself. And the word says that, that he was hanging between heaven and earth. Unable to free himself. Absalom's hanging in this tree. He's at the whim of men. A man who had done wrong. Absalom had done wrong. But the king said, deal gently with him. And now he's in a tree. And he says, I found Absalom. I found him. He's hanging in a tree. And Joab says to him, I would have paid you to kill him. And the man says, I would never do that. I would never kill him. I don't care if you gave me 10,000 shekels. I would never go against what the king said. I'm not going to do that. Because David had made it clear, I need you to deal gently for my sake. But Joab ignored that command. Joab ignored the command of the king. And he said, I want to be the one who brings justice in this place. I want to be judge, jury, and executioner. I want justice. Verse 14, and he took three spears in his hand and he thrust them through Absalom's heart. And Absalom was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. Joab Joab kills a defenseless man because he thought it was right. He thought it was right for him to kill this defenseless man. And to add insult to injury, verse 15, and 10 young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and and killed him. While Absalom was a criminal, these people didn't bring him to justice to the king. They took justice in their own hands and decided that they were going to kill a criminal when he was in their midst. But he wasn't to die. David said, would you deal gently with him for my sake? And I asked the question, I say, where's Abishai and where's Ittai and where's the thousands of others that were around Absalom? Why is this defenseless man hanging in a tree between heaven and earth and not being brought to justice? Only one man stood up and said, you are wrong, Joab. I'm not taking part in this. Now, there's a lot of problems within this story. And today, this story speaks specifically to what is going on around us. Today, I'm going to use this scripture to show you how you cannot sit idly by and allow injustice to happen in your midst and remain silent. To remain silent is to be complicit in the action. And today, I want to talk about racism. I want to talk about uh, race in America. 
And, and, and I wanted to talk about it for the last few weeks when we had the issue with Ahmad Arbery down in uh, Georgia and the, the things started to turn. I said, Lord, I want to talk about racism. I want to talk, talk about race in America, but I didn't want to jump away from our scriptures of being in Saul in second Samuel. So I said, Lord, would you give me a scripture that I can use to talk about race in America? And today the Lord has been gracious enough to give us this scripture. He was hanging between heaven and earth. He was hanging between heaven and earth. And some of you watching this today would say, well, why do we need to talk about racism? I'm not a racist. I don't need to hear a sermon on racism. Well, you know what? You may not be a homosexual, but you need to hear about what the Bible says about homosexuality. And just because I'm preaching a sermon on racism doesn't mean that you're a racist. Just because I preach a sermon on homosexuality does not mean that you're a homosexual. But if the Bible talks about it, we need to talk about it. If it's going on in the world, we need to talk about it. We are, we are the, 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 the Bible says the church is the pillar and ground of truth. And that's who we are in this nation. And if anything's going to change in this world, it's got to start in the church. It's got to start in the church. Here are some hard truths that need to be said. Racism still exists in America. Racism still exists in America. And by and large, white people are either ignorant or apathetic about it. And maybe it's not you. Maybe you're watching this and you're thinking, well, that's not me, but it's real. And it's, it's a sin against God when we don't talk about and deal with and speak up against racism in America. And I get it, man. I'm white. I know that's surprising to some of you black people that here this morning. So our worship team this morning had some black people on it. First service, they were surprised as well. They're like, what? You're white? I know. Mikey Dunham calls me white pepper. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but I, I am white. Um, <laughs> much to my own sadness, I did do the uh, DNA test. I was hoping for my one drop, man. And I didn't get my one drop. But I am white. And white people say, well, what am I supposed to do about it? Well, it starts in the church. It starts in the church. This is where it starts. You can start by admitting that racism still exists in America. That's where where it starts. You have to admit that racism still exists in America. And again, you may not be, and you may not have experienced it, but if you had black and brown friends, you would know. If you had black and brown friends in your life, you would know that it's still out there. And again, the church talks about sin, uh, uh, sexual immorality and fornication and envy, envy and covetedness and anger. And racism is a sin that needs to be talked about. I've been preaching since I was 16 years old. One of the first sermons I ever preached in big people church, I call it big people church because I started out in the youth group and then at 18, they let me preach in big people church. It was a church of about 600 people. We had three services. They let me preach. First sermon I ever preached was on racism. Why? Because it's near and dear to me. I hate racism. I hate it. And again, we're not blaming anyone. Again, it's like like a sermon on tithing. If I preach on tithing and you're a tither, you don't feel any conviction because you're like, I'm tithing. What do I have to worry about? If I preach a sermon on racism and it convicts you, it might be because you're a racist. But if you're not a racist, you don't have to feel convicted. You don't have to be like, oh, well, it's for somebody. Let them hear it. You shouldn't feel uncomfortable about racism unless it's in your heart. And that goes for everyone, regardless of your race. I'm going to be talking a lot to white people because white people need to hear some stuff. But black and brown and and, uh, red and yellow, black and all of the colors. Nobody is exempt from this sermon. 
The Bible says this in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Romans 10.12, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Romans 2.11, for there's no partiality with God. Acts 17.26, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Friend, we are all equal in the eyes of God. We were all created in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says that we're all created in the image of God. We cannot say that any race is more important or more special than anybody else because we are all created in the image of God. But we cannot sit here in the church and pretend that our black and brown brothers and sisters are not struggling in America. We can't do that. Educate yourself. Learn the struggle. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Be the one that stands up and speaks up and says, this is wrong. This is wrong. Now, our church is a multicultural church. You saw representation of that this morning on our worship team. We had white and black and brown and every, we we had a lot of different diversification and it, it didn't, it wasn't even planned that way. We didn't say, get those token black people up there to make our church look diverse. We actually have black people in our church. We don't, (laughs) I don't know if you can hear them laughing, but, but our black brothers and sisters in the church, you have an opportunity as well to help fix racism in America, to talk to the white people around you and help them to understand. Uh, We can't be silent about what's happening to you, but you can't be silent and not letting us know. Cause if it, if it wasn't for my safe black friends, I never would have understood what it's like to be black in America. Uh, my, my best friend, pastor John butcher, like we talk about, uh, he's my safe black friend and I'm his safe white friend. Another one of my best friends, Raymond Birch, uh, he's safe black friend. And so when you have safe black friends, you can ask any question. So I call him up on the phone. I'm like, Hey man, can you put on your safe black friend hat for a moment? He's like, yes, I need to ask you a question because it's the only way that you can understand is you've got to ask questions. You've got to open up the doors of communication and allow people to ask questions they don't understand and then tell them the truth when they ask the questions so they can have a better understanding. And you, you've got to make new friends that you can ask anything uh, and, and you can't get angry at ignorance. You can't. If, if you're unwilling to share with people your struggle, you can't get upset when they don't understand what the struggle is. Uh, I, and it took relationships with me in my life to begin to understand. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. There's a gentleman in our church uh, named Mikey Dunham. And uh, uh, Mikey and I went out to lunch uh, uh, last, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And I, we were talking about race in America. It's always a subject. And I, and I was explaining to him, like many white people do, as I said, you know, what, tell me the law. Like, show me a law that's wrong in America. Because, you know, we have a black president and there's black governors and mayors. And there's no laws that, that say that racism is okay in America. And that's true. And, and then I said to Mikey, I said, so tell me something that's, uh, you know, systemic racism in America. And what Mikey began to talk to me about is he talked to me about the crack epidemic that happened in the 90s. And I was alive during that time. I was born in the 70s. And in the crack epidemic in the in the 90s, the laws that came down upon uh, people that were using crack and selling crack and three strikes put a ton of black people behind bars for life. For life, black people were put behind bars because of crack cocaine. And now 
in the 2000s, there's a heroin epidemic that's happening in America amongst rich white people. And what do they do? Safe injection sites. How, how can you not look at that and say that's racism? If you're a black person in America and you say, America shoved all of my black brothers and sisters in jail for crack, white people get a problem in the suburbs with heroin and they open up safe injection sites. And I, and I share, and there's many stories I can share with you, but I share with you as an, as an idea to look and say, yeah, man, that doesn't make sense. That's not right. That's not fair. That's not equal justice underneath the law. So let me show you how this scripture speaks to our current situation in America. Right now in the middle of this, the scripture is, he was left hanging between heaven and earth. (coughs) Excuse me. And to me, it connected with the symbol of lynching. The, the, The idea and the picture of a black man hanging in the tree, being, being, being around a, a noose around his neck where justice was, was put on him that was not in the hands of somebody else. A, a vigilante group of people that said, you know what, this is going to be our justice. When it wasn't lawful, it wasn't anything that should have happened. And it needs to be spoken up and spe- spoken against. A man hanging in a tree between heaven and earth that we need to speak up against. We as Christians vocally speak about our rights to collectively assemble and worship while simultaneously remaining silent about other people's rights being violated. It's not right. It's wrong. If I'm going to defend my right to speak up, I've got to defend somebody else's right to have equal treatment under the law. I I can't, I can't defend one right and, and not let somebody else have their right as well. We cannot remain silent any longer. Our black brothers and our brown brothers and sisters in the Lord need our love and support. They do not need your memes on the internet. They don't need them. There's no black or brown person that sees some meme that calls out some some sideways sort of argument that tries to negate what they're going through. They're not like, oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That makes me feel a whole lot better. We speak about the sins of the flesh and refuse to talk about the sins regarding color of flesh. And there's a lot of things to be frustrated about. I get it. But I need your grace this morning because this is not an easy subject to articulate. I'm white, but I'm trying to use my voice for the voiceless. I'm trying to speak up. I'm using my sphere of influence to be able to speak out against racism and injustice in America. Being a leader comes with responsibility. My wife and I, Crystal, before we started this church 17 years ago, we used to drive around Texas. We talked about the church that we wanted to have. And we said, Lord, give us a church that looks like heaven. And we've worked so hard to create a multicultural, uh, diverse socioeconomic church. Sometimes on a Sunday in a service in here, we're, we're literally running like 60-40 or 50-50 that you wouldn't even know what kind of church that we have because we want a church that looks like heaven. Just, just this morning uh, outside, we had a service and, and leaning up against the car, we had two black brothers, a brown brother, brother and a police officer all standing together worshiping the Lord. We've worked hard at that. We've worked so hard to try to create this type of church. And now is the time that that Satan would love nothing else to divide us as a church or Facebook to be able to divide us as a church. 
We're not going to let Satan or Facebook destroy the unity of God's church. Reverend uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said, history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. But here's the issue within our church or many churches that I see, whenever there's a racial flare up in America, the people of this church and other churches take to social media and begin to post things about what they're feeling. And I notice for many, there's a lack of understanding and empathy. There's a lack of understanding and empathy. You're not, you're not helping anybody by sharing antagonistic memes at all. It helps no one. It needs to stop. Quit, quit using the exception as the rule. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, it's, it's like these riots that have been going on all over America. People are rightfully protesting. Even yesterday, we have a, a Seattle police officer in our church. He was down at the riots yesterday or the, and the protests in Seattle yesterday. And he texted me. He said, Black Lives Matter were, were great people and they, and they did their protest. In Seattle, it was Antifa. Antifa was the one, a bunch of rich, white anarchists with masks on trying to incite riots and then black people say and then black people get the brunt and they say oh well you know your riots aren't cut it wasn't even the black lives matter people in seattle that were doing the riots it was antifa and so we 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 look at it and you share a meme to try to negate the fact that there's racism in america and there's people that are hurting that are black brown in america work on your relationships don't work on your memes We have all kinds of people in our church, all colors, all jobs, including police officers. Christ's body comes first. We are a church of heaven that will look like heaven. We will defend unity, promote diversity, and build relationships with others who don't look like ourselves in the hope of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the end, that's what it's all about. We want to empty hell and fill heaven. We want to bring as many people as possible to heaven with us. And we may not be able to change the world, but we can create a world in the way in which it should be. And as you listen to this sermon today, I need you to be patient with me. I I need you to let me get this all out before you shut me out. I pray to the Lord, Lord, give me a scripture. I've been praying it for weeks and God gave me the scripture today, right now, this weekend. I started this sermon a week ago before all the protests and riots even started this week. Because I said, Lord, allow me to speak to the times but I need you to admit and agree with me. This sermon cannot cover everything. I don't want you to listen to it. Well, he didn't talk about this. Listen, man, I got 30, 40 minutes to talk. It's very, I I talk about this for a a 10 week series, but there's not enough time as space. Also, this sermon cannot fix everything. Words are not enough. This sermon will miss some points and it will be difficult to speak and decipher due to the complexities of the subject at hand. But this sermon is a sermon by a white guy who's just trying to honor God. I'm trying to love those who don't look like me and I'm trying to lead a church that looks like heaven. That's all I'm trying to do. I want to honor God. The responsibility is on all of us to build relationships, to give forgiveness, to love and to grow. The first point I want to make with you this morning is this, is that if you look at the story, Joab was lawless and outside of delegated authority. 
And there's really only two kinds of authority. There's ultimate authority and there's delegated authority. And Absalom acted outside of both. See, Absalom deemed to be the executioner and judge over Absalom when David told him, deal gently with him. Do you notice the story? Are you making the connection? Absalom's job was not to kill Absalom. Absalom's job was to arrest Absalom and bring him to the king so that the king could execute judgment. But he broke that trust and he said, I'm going to take justice in my own hands, even though Absalom had done wrong. A person who was charged with upholding the orders of the king did not get to execute the punishment the word of the king is law. Ecclesiastes 8, 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Proverbs eight fifteen. by me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all judges of the earth. Now it's, if you look at this story, it's easy to connect this with America and people struggle with justice. Because the struggle with justice through the eyes of black and brown people who have been unfairly treated by police officers for many, many decades, they, they look at a story and they say, it wasn't right that they got, they got treated this way at all. It wasn't their job to do that to this person. They can't just treat people how they feel is right. They have to operate within the confines of the law. We, we have a, a police officer in our church and he's not a bad man. He's a great man. He was here at, at first service after being in the protests and the riots all day yesterday. He came to church today with his family. We just prayed over him in the parking lot with black and brown brothers ra- laying hands on him, sending him back into the belly of the beast in downtown Seattle today to do more police work. He does his job. He operates within the confines of the law. He, he's, he's part on the Seattle Police Department. He's a, 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 one of the guys that actually trains in use of force to make sure that police are doing the right thing. We need police. I love police officers. My father was a Seattle police officer. We need those people for a good society. And we need to do everything that we can to support them. But at the same time, with isolated incidents that happen, we, we can't lie to ourselves and look at something and say, well, they're a police officer. They can do whatever they want. It's wrong. You know, a couple of weeks ago, there's an incident that happened at Pastor John's uh, city down in California. And I showed uh, the officer at our church this video. And I said, look at how this officer uh, dealt with this black guy down in uh, California. And he said, oh, I hope he got fired. And I said, he did get fired. He goes, good. That's what should happen. He said, any guy that was on my department that did that same thing, we would fire him as well because it's wrong. It's not how you should treat people. So don't think for a minute and say that, that, that the police officers are sitting around applauding what's going on. They're not doing that at all. These guys are still even right now putting their lives at risk to protect people's right to protest in the midst of people that don't even like them. Want to understand what it's like for the police? Ask one. Ask him, ask how hard of a job it is. He's just doing his calling for his family to keep us safe. But police is a delegated authority. It's not an ultimate authority. They work within the law. They are not the law. And we, we submit to them as unto the Lord, all of us, a police officer should feel safe in church in the same way that anybody black or brown should feel safe at church as well. Romans 13, one says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. 
But when anyone acts outside of their delegated authority, not just the police, we cannot agree with it. None of you that have any authority in your life would not like anybody taking over your authority. If you have authority over your kids, you don't like other people having authority over your kids. If you're second shift supervisor, you own a business, you lead a business. You don't want somebody else telling your employees what to do because that's your authority to do so. And so when you see unrighteous and, uh, and, and injustice in authority, you have to be the one that says, you know what? That's wrong. It's the only way that you can stop it is you have to start speaking up about it. And this is one of the struggles that people of color have with white people is that they, they get unfair treatment by the law and, and then white people are afraid to admit it. They think that if they say like that police officer acted bad towards that person, that somehow they're negating their support of police. That's not it at all. You can simultaneously be 100% in support of police and 100% look at unrighteous acts and say that's wrong and it shouldn't have happened. They're not mutually exclusive. And your black brothers and sisters just need you to stand up with them and say it's wrong. They don't need your, your, your Facebook posts that are having outliers saying that they don't, they're not allowed to believe the way that they believe. Listen to the struggles of black people. It's not my experience. I've never been profiled. I've never been stopped by the police because of my race. I've never been stopped and frisked. And sometimes the limits of my skin color keep me from fully understanding it. But if you spend time with any black or brown people, just ask me like, hey man, have you ever had a time when you were standing on a corner and somebody was at a stoplight and they locked the doors of their car because you were standing on the corner? Most, most black men would tell you that's happened. Most black men would tell you that they've had women clutch their purses when they walk by them in the store. And we stand and say, well, you know, it's not my problem. I don't under, build some relationships with people, man. Listen to them. And you begin to understand their struggles. They're, they're not even asking you to fix it. They're just asking you to say, do you want, man, can you at least for a minute try to understand what it's like for me being black or brown in America? And then speak up for those that can't speak up for themselves. A lot of times what happens is that you're at a job and a black or a brown person is afraid to speak up because they're afraid of losing their job. I mean, uh, it's just the reality. They, they live with this sense of like, man, I got to play nice or else I'm going to get fired. If you're the white person at the job, speak up. Say, it's not right that you're treating them that way. It's not right that you said that. It's not right. Someone stood up for the decree of David in the absence of him being there to protect Absalom to protect the law, to protect David. Watch what happens in this story. Joab yells at the man who saw Absalom and he asks, why didn't you kill him yourself? But the man says to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. I'm not going to do it. Someone spoke up. They said, this isn't right. Now, everything that happens isn't wrong, but when things are wrong, you've got to stand up and you've got to say no. You've got to be the one when you're there and you see something wrong, be the one that speaks up against it. And again, every cop is not bad, but the man who killed George Floyd was bad. It was wrong. And if you watch the video, the guy is filming, begging, saying, please stop, please stop. And then what happens is, is that, you know, protests and riots and all these other things happen. And people say, well, 
See, this is what happens, completely negating the flashpoint of it, which was George Floyd. It's not George Floyd's part what's happening in America. And you can say that, you know, protest, not protest, but riots are bad. At the same time, you can say what happened to George Floyd was bad. You don't have to, it's not an either or. And again, your black and brown brothers and sisters do not need the exception during this time. They need your emotional support to say, do you know what, man? I can't imagine what it must be like for you. You probably have never watched a news story and wept over a white person that got dealt with the police a certain kind of way. But talk to your black and brown brothers and sisters and see what it's like for them when it happens. Someone spoke up and said, this isn't right. But it's not just the cops, man. If you hire people at your job, you have responsibility. If you fire people, you work with people. Or if you have family members, you have responsibility. I mean, if you're at a family function and somebody says something negative against uh, somebody of color, speak up. Say, you know what? You're not doing that at my Thanksgiving table. And you can go somewhere else with that action. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting up with this at my house at all. Don't let racist attitudes or actions happen in your midst. Don't allow people to say jokes Don't allow people to make decisions at your job that adversely affect people of color. Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. James 4.17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him is sin. But even in the church, you've got to be willing to lovingly call out someone, someone on their prejudiced blind spot. Would you, would you allow me to speak negatively about anyone? Would you? No, you wouldn't. Here, here's an idea. Take racial descriptions out of your vocabulary when they're unneeded. Why, why does the color of the person matter? Why, why does it matter? I read a book many years ago by George Foreman, and he was talking in his book. He said, when I write this book, I'm going to take all of the descriptors of race out of the stories. He said, and as you're reading my book, And you're reading these stories. If you wonder what the race of the person is in the story, I want you to ask yourself, why is that important? Why is the color important? You went to the store and you talked to a black guy. Did it it matter? Did it matter that he was black or did you just talk to a guy? You don't say, well, I I went to the store and this white guy walked in front of me. You say, no. People say, no, this is black. Why does it matter? Does it have any bearing on the story? If, if you're talking about a story and say this black man was dealt uh, uh, disgustingly by, by the police, then yeah, that, that's part of the story. But like, hey, I'm hanging out with my black friend today. Like, come on, man. <laughs> Proverbs 31, 8, 9. Open your mouth for the speechless. In the cause of all who are appointed to die, open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. And listen to me, white people, you may have been poor or experienced prejudice, but not at the level or sustained problems of black people in America. Read, watch, understand. Go, go read about Pruitt Igo. Go read about Jim Crow. Read about profiling and then admit that it's real. I've talked to black people in the last year that that have lived in the South in this time and they still go to the doctor down in the South and they go into the doctor and there's two separate rooms for white people and for black people. They took the signs down, but it's abundantly clear. Black people wait in this room, white people wait in this room. We have a black pastor at our church profiled at gunpoint. 
Have you ever been? I've never been profiled at gunpoint. I've never had to go through that. I've never had to deal with those types of things that black and brown people deal with all the time in America. And again, people will say things, well, what about black on black crime? Listen, man, black people know about black on black crime. They don't need you to call it out. They're dealing with it and they're doing everything they can. They're not asking you to say, support us in our fight against black on black crime. They're saying, support us with being black in America. Quit using that as an excuse of why you don't have to support somebody who's being oppressed. It's nonsense, man. It's nonsense. Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Faith and victory is a multicultural church and we need to defend our brothers and sisters and quit arguing on Facebook for the love of God, man. And if you're watching this and you're not a member of my church, you're just a Christian, just shut up, man. Just quit. Nobody is being changed by your stupid arguments at all. Just share a scripture or share a picture of your cat, like something. Gosh, man. Your black brothers and sisters in the Lord need you right now, man. They need your support. If you lack the courage to stand up and say, I'm with you, just shut up. Those memes cause division within the church. You don't hear about it, but I hear about it. I get private messages. I get phone calls of people that say, man, I don't want to come back to church because this person hates me. I don't get to come back to church because this person doesn't like me because you paint in what you post on Facebook. And that's for everybody, not just white people. Third point is this. Everybody's scattered from the scene. Did no, did no one care that Absalom was dead? I mean, maybe, maybe they figured that he deserved to die for what he did. And here's, here's the rub in the story. Now hear very closely on this. Joab was correct and that Absalom deserved to die, but he wasn't right in what he did. But it doesn't change the injustice that happened to Absalom. Many times we see stories and we say, well, this, this person was wrong. They deserve to die. The, the, the officer of the law is not judge and jury, man. It's not the way that it works. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You can't change the injustice that happened. And it's hard to wrap your mind around and it's the, excuse, it's the excuse that many people use when it comes to a person of color being treated unfairly. They'll, they'll begin to, here's what happens, is that something will happen in America, you know, Eric Garner or, or any, any one of these other stories that happen. You know, Eric Garner was a guy that suffocated because he was selling bootleg cigarettes. And, and people said, well, you know, he was committing a crime. He was doing something wrong. And then they dig up some story or some news picture of, of somebody that, that, that where they're holding a gun. Did you even find pictures of me holding a gun? Side note. And, and, and people use that against them and say, well, the injustice that happened to them was right that happened to them based on the past life that they lived. You know, I'm sure I'm glad that when I die, Jesus isn't going to bring up my past. He's not going to use the bad things that I've done in my life as the reason why I don't deserve his grace and mercy. Somebody's past, man. Yeah, yeah. A completely wrong person can still be dealt with wrongly. And you can say that it's wrong that that person was dealt with that way. 
Quit arguing with the complaints of black and brown people or anyone that feels that they're being oppressed with, oppressed with arguments why their feelings are invalid. This is actually really poor communication. If you're, if you're in a relationship with somebody, specifically like your spouse, and your spouse comes to you and says, I feel this kind of way, watch and see how your relationship goes when you tell them you're not allowed to feel that way. And give them a list of reasons and excuses why they shouldn't feel that way. See how that helps in your relationships. If you have a family member that's been raped or experienced uh, sexual trauma and they, and years later they still want to talk about it, say to them, isn't it time for you to get over this? Isn't it time for you to just move on? You need to forgive that person to move on. I'm tired of listening to you talk to me about your rape. It's time for you to move on. You would never say that. You'd show them grace and mercy and say, however long you need to talk about it is as long as I want to listen about it. And if you got black and brown friends that want to talk to you about their struggles, just shut up and listen, man. Give them an opportunity to speak. Quit telling them they're not allowed to talk about it. It's real. Validate it. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's cowardly to not speak up. It's cowardly to not admit that acts of justice still exist. It's cowardly to scatter and run away. It's cowardly to say and do things that minimize racism. It's cowardly. I don't want to be a coward. Proverbs 25, 26, a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring in a polluted well. And some white people, and I hear them and they say things like, I never owned a slave or I'm not a racist. And that may be true, but it's also true that right now in America at a faith and victory church, we have people of color who live in America who need us to speak up for them right now. With the battle cry that says, I can't breathe. They need white accomplices. They need white people that will stand up and say, do you want man? It's wrong. You know, a, a brown brother in our church, uh, Aaron Quinones, he told me this story years ago. And it's the starfish story. Many of you guys have heard this story before. And the starfish story is like this, that a young boy was walking on a beach. The, the waves had gone out and there was a bunch of starfish on the beach and, and so he began to chuck these starfishes back into the water so they wouldn't die in the hot sun. And this man comes down and he says, he says, why are you chucking in these starfishes? He says, I'm, I'm trying to keep them from dying. And the guy looks at the little young boy and he says, look at this beach, man. There's millions of starfish. You're not going to be able to make a difference. And the kid looks at him. He takes the starfish and he chucks it in the water. And he says, man, I made a difference for that one. I personally cannot fix the racism, the racism problems in America. I can't. I don't have the power to do that. But do you know what I can do is I can have a church that's not a racist. I can have relationships with brown and black and white and yellow and red and everybody else. And, and I can have relationships like God intended. I can't fix the world, but I can create a world the way in which God intended it to be. And just because I can't fix the whole thing doesn't mean that I shouldn't influence the people around me to not be racist people. Ecclesiastes 4.10, this is the battle cry. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Joab took the law in his own hand to the man who was left hanging between heaven and earth. And there's a man right now in your church and in America that's hanging between heaven and earth, in your family, in your church, and he needs you to speak up for him. 
He doesn't need your arguments. He doesn't need your reason why. Black and brown people know the issues in the community. They need white people to stand up in the gap and say, I'm sorry. And I don't understand, but I want to understand. I don't know how to help, but I'll help. I'm not going to allow it. I may not have caused it, but at the least I can speak up and say, I stand with you and it's wrong. We're all going to spend eternity with each other. And we are family and we will stand together in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. If you've been listening to this sermon this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to give you an opportunity to be able to become one this morning. It's really quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Either you've given your life to Jesus or you haven't. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said, I'm a sinner that needs a savior, Jesus wants to receive you as his son and daughter this morning. All I ask you to do is get on your knees before God and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I want to live for you. Turn away from your sin and turn towards God. The Bible says that you'll be born again if you say that prayer in faith. Now, before we end this morning in prayer, I want to encourage you, if you had some racist tendencies in your heart, to just, you know, admit this morning that you have that before God and ask for forgiveness. Say, you know what, Lord, help me to be better. I don't want to be that way. It's a sin like any other sin. If you've been doing it for years, it's going to take a while to get it out of there, but you can admit before God and say, God, help me to not be this way. Help me to see everybody in your image. Help me to control my mouth. Give me the courage to be able to speak up for those that can't speak up for themselves. Father, we thank you for this word, Lord, that speaks directly to our hearts this morning, God. And God, collectively as your church, we pray for racial unity within your church and within our nation, God. Father, you are the answer. You are the answer to racial uh, disunity because only through you can true unity happen, Lord. Spirit to fall upon this nation, God. We confess those sins. Uh, that, that we so have been so silent about in the past. Sins of racism that we allow to, to exist. In times we remain silent, God, we pray that we would not be a people that remain silent any longer, Lord, that we would speak up for our black brothers and sisters that need our voice. I pray for those brothers and sisters that have been hurt by white people, that they receive us back as brothers and sisters, man. We love you. We love you. Father, we praise you and we thank you Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you so much for listening this morning. Would you do something bold this morning? Would you, when this sermon comes back online, would you share it on social media? Would you, would you be the voice? Would you be the voice if you're watching this? Let, let other uh, people in your sphere of influence hear this message, that it would challenge them in the ways they think and speak about race in America. I love you guys so much, man. I hope I I hope I honor God this morning. Thank you so much for watching, man. I love you so much. Have a good Sunday. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.